Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Racism negatively affects Black and African-American mental health and some ways people can protect themselves from racism's toxic effects. Today, we take a look at some first steps the rest of us can take, with a nice serving of humble pie and a focus on acknowledging our own role. Have you ever called a Black acquaintance you've met multiple times by the wrong name because you mix them up with another Black person, even though they look nothing alike? Maybe you assumed your white friend's new boyfriend was also white until you met him and learned he was Latino. Ever laughed at or made a joke about a hurtful Asian stereotype? What about coming home from a party and suddenly realizing that you introduced yourself only to strangers of your own race all evening, even though the party was pretty diverse? I've done these things, and there have been many other times, including some I still haven't realized. When I participated in perpetuating racial prejudice, stereotyping, creating social distance between races, and discrimination. That sentence was incredibly hard to say out loud. It was especially hard to say without adding qualifiers like perhaps or accidentally or just like anyone else. And this is because I genuinely believe I am a good person who is not racist. And the idea of me contributing to racism sends my brain into DEFCON 3 defensive mode. If you can relate to this, or even if you don't think you can, but you do feel uncomfortable talking about racism, today's discussion is for you. It's aimed at people who consider themselves, quote, not racist. But it will not be a finger-wagging exercise where I chastise you for being secretly racist. No, that's not my goal here at all. Instead, we'll take a compassionate but realistic look at ourselves as imperfect animals with defensive instincts. An important foundation for what we'll talk about today is the concept of implicit racial bias. This refers to unconscious attitudes and tendencies that happen behind the scenes of what we say and do. These tendencies may not look like in-your-face racism at all. Nevertheless, they do contribute to perpetuating racism in our society. Implicit bias is so well documented in psychology research that there are whole nonprofits and best selling books devoted to the topic. So instead of enumerating the many research findings here, I'll refer you to books like Blind Spot to get an overview. What I'll focus on instead is what to do with our implicit bias or at least how to take the first step, which is to become less defensive about it. Much of today's tips are based on the excellent work of several thought leaders, including Verna Myers, a diversity consultant with a law degree and author of Moving Diversity Forward, How to Go from Well-Meaning to Well-Doing. Also, Dolly Chug, award-winning social psychologist and author of The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias, and Ibram X. Kendi, professor and director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research and author of the best-selling book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I wanted to center today's episode around their work because I believe their messages are the guiding principle that we really need to move forward from defensiveness to growth. 
And the central theme is this. Let go of trying to be a good person. Instead, be a better person. Let's start by talking about the problem with being colorblind. Many people roll their eyes or wag their fingers at the term colorblind because, you know, it feels kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card that kind of misses the point. But laying judgment on people who call themselves colorblind can be confusing. It makes them feel as though they're being punished for trying to practice equality. But the problem with claiming to be colorblind has nothing to do with political correctness. The real problem is that our brains are simply not designed to be colorblind. We're constantly, and often unconsciously, categorizing, assuming, labeling, extrapolating, and this in and of itself is not a bad thing. Our conscious selves don't have enough time to carefully consider every data point that crosses our brain's path. We need all of these cognitive shortcuts just to do everyday activities like driving or telling jokes. However, our brains use these same shortcuts when we process racial bias. And yes, I do mean we, me, you, all of us, even minorities, even people who actively protest racism. And that's not because we're secretly racist. It's because our brains have been marinating in racially prejudiced social influences our whole lives. We've seen way more Black actors cast as thugs in movies. We've perhaps felt grandparents tense up when a cousin brought a dark-skinned partner home for Thanksgiving. We've watched our friends be less chatty with cashiers who are people of color. All of these subtle and not-so-subtle cues, whether or not we consciously agree with them, become data points that drive our brain's algorithms. So we end up with brain shortcuts that are biased. And those shortcuts inevitably turn into biased thoughts and actions. Verna Myers, in her excellent TED Talk, recounts how she was thrilled to have a female pilot on a flight that she took. Yay, feminism! But then there was turbulence, and she thought, I hope she can drive. Myers readily admits that when things got stressful, she leaned on a bias that she didn't even know she had. And that applies to all of us in our brains. There's plenty of research studies on implicit bias showing this pattern with race. For example, we may more easily and quickly associate Black people's faces with guns instead of with tools, and with negative words rather than positive ones. And by the way, you can take this implicit bias test for yourself at Project Implicit, a nonprofit organization and international collaboration between researchers whose goal is to educate the public about hidden biases. So these implicit, under-the-radar attitudes do manifest as real-world problems. Healthcare providers give racial minorities less quality care when they hold implicit biases. And teachers' implicit biases result in lower test performance in their Black students. And those are just a couple of many examples. That's why we cannot be colorblind. To insist that we don't see color is to be in denial. And when we're in denial, we're part of the problem, so we can't be part of the solution. So, let's do this together. Take a deep breath and say it out loud. I have racial bias. Go ahead, I'll wait. 
And now that we understand that we ourselves do have racial bias, it's also important to understand that participating in racism is not an all-or-nothing thing. We often simplify the very complex issue of race-based prejudice, bias, discrimination, and all the things that feed into structural problems by boiling it all down to one word, racist. Then we label people, institutions, actions, and ideas as racist, something we all agree is a bad thing. We then condemn those racist people and things wholeheartedly, and we feel good doing it because our condemnation of it seems to leave us standing solidly in the, quote, not racist safe zone. But could this all-or-nothing labeling be contributing to our collective denial? When we boil things down to either racist or not racist, life gets easier. We can pat ourselves on the back and not give racism another thought. Look at us. We've never used the N-word. We have diverse friends. We loudly condemn the white supremacists we see on TV and social media. We're doing all of the, quote, not racist things. So obviously we're not racist ourselves, right? Well, imagine if a medical resident said, I've never had a patient die on my watch. Therefore, I'm a good doctor and I don't need any more training. Assuming that you're immune to racial bias because you've never used the N-word is like assuming you're a good doctor because you haven't lost a patient. It leaves no room to grow. Assuming that we don't have racial bias conveniently makes us not racist people feel good about ourselves. But it also puts blinders on us, keeping us from recognizing and changing our implicit bias. It keeps us from being anti-racist, people who actively participate in the dismantling of racism. So what can we do to start flipping the switch to go from being not racist to anti-racist? Well, one good thing to do is just to not shy away from talking about race. Talking about race can feel very uncomfortable. It brings up anger, guilt, shame, fear, and all sorts of emotions we'd just rather not deal with. In this way, talking about race is kind of like engaging in therapy. You're actively working on growing as a person, which is only possible if you push past your comfort zone. In fact, as an aside, I know that if one of my patients is getting too comfortable in our therapy sessions, something is not working and we need to start poking at more uncomfortable topics. Many people are understandably afraid of saying the wrong thing and looking like a racist. We don't want to embarrass ourselves or to offend anyone else. But taking this preventive stance misses the point. Anti-racism is not about never putting your foot in your mouth. Instead, it's about actively working to help take away the structures that prop up racism. And this is really hard work. It's not something we can do by shutting up and staying in our comfort zones. Like Verna Meyer said in her powerful TED Talk, you're not going to get comfortable before you get uncomfortable first. So, do read about the history and psychology and economics of racism, and do talk about it with your family, friends, colleagues, and classmates. You will make mistakes, but making mistakes is part of growth. And that actually leads to the next important point, which is don't explain away mistakes. Learn from them. 
I know I just told you to not shy away from the possibility of making a mistake. And let's add on to that. That does not mean mistakes are totally harmless. Sometimes the mistakes we make hurt others. When they do, our first instinct is to explain it away. We were misunderstood. We didn't mean it. It wasn't really our fault because, insert external circumstances, the instinct to defend ourselves is understandable. Social psychologist and professor Dolly Chug explains that we are so programmed to protect the way we view ourselves, our identity as a good person, that our brains do a lot of work behind the scenes to ready our defenses. We lean on selection bias, paying attention to and remembering our heroic actions more readily than our questionable ones. We lean on the fundamental attribution error, which is when we attribute other people's mistakes to their character flaws, but our own mistakes to unfavorable circumstances. As Dr. Chug put it in her thought-provoking TED Talk, we're working so hard to protect our good person identity, to keep out of that red zone of defensiveness, that we are not giving ourselves the space to learn from our mistakes and become a better person. So what does it look like to become a better person? What does it mean to commit to growth as an anti-racist? Well, it's a lifelong pursuit. I believe actually one of the most important concepts here is that being not racist is not the same as being anti-racist. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi discusses this in detail in his best-selling book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and in his TED lecture on the topic. The central idea is that denying our biases, our racist acts, our complicity in racist structures is the very heartbeat that keeps racism alive. Instead, we must actively remind ourselves of how abnormal it is that Black people and other racial minorities disproportionately suffer more health problems, are more likely to live in poverty, are more likely to be victims of crime and violence. We must pay attention to policies that perpetuate these structural problems. We must figure out our role in these structural problems. For example, One role I've played in these structural problems is being silent for so long on racism as a problem for mental health. As a public educator who reaches tens of thousands, my lack of advocacy on this topic is to be complicit in the structural problems of mental health disparity. Dr. Candy puts it simply, an anti-racist, first of all, is someone who is willing to admit the times in which they did something racist. In other words, becoming less defensive is the first step to growth. Verna Myers agrees and also wants us to walk toward the things that make us uncomfortable, to confront our own biases. And coming full circle to what Dr. Chug said, instead of trying to be a good person, try to be a better person. I highly recommend that you check out these TED Talks and these books that I've mentioned throughout today's episode. You can find links to all of these resources on our website at quickanddirtytips.com, and you can just go to the Savvy Psychologist section to find out the details. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening, and let's continue the conversation on social media. Please reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. I am at 
Jade Wu PhD, and at QDT Savvy Psych. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter, where you can get all sorts of psychology tips delivered straight to your inbox. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you again for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier and healthier mind.